This is Matt Collier, author of Think Like a Rockstar, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection in with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. This episode of the Marketing Book Podcast will publish on Friday, January 8th, 2016. And while January 8th is not yet a national holiday, it will be someday because it is the birthday of Elvis Presley. Elvis was one of the most significant cultural icons of the 20th century, and he is often referred to as the king of rock and roll, or simply the king. He was among the very first inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So in honor of Elvis's birthday, we have a very special guest. We're joined by Matt Collier, and we're going to talk about his book, Think Like a Rockstar, How to Create Social Media and Marketing Strategies that turn customers into fans. Mac is recognized by Forbes as one of the top 25 social media marketers in the world. Mac's a social media strategist, trainer, and speaker on social media and customer engagement topics. Mac founded and moderates Blog Chat, the largest Twitter chat on the internet, where thousands of people meet each Sunday night on Twitter to discuss a different blogging topic. Additionally, Mac's thoughts and expertise on marketing, brand advocacy, and social media have been sought by some of the world's most prestigious news sources, including The Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, USA Today, CNBC, ESPN, The Washington Post, and Entrepreneur Magazine. He is also the host of the Fan-Damn-Tastic Marketing Show. Mac, congratulations on Think Like a Rockstar, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. And thanks for the tie-in with the King's birthday and Think Like a Rockstar. I appreciate that as well. Well, Mac, amongst other things, this is really a big deal for me to have you on the show because you are the very first guest on the Marketing Book Podcast who lives in the state of my birth, the great state of Alabama. Wow. How about that? You know, it's funny you mentioned that because um, I listened to a couple of your past episodes yesterday Uh-oh. and I noted that um, one of the episodes you had Gino Church on and you made mention that he was the first um, guest you'd had with a southern accent so yes. I was a bit disappointed I missed the cut there but Gino is a pretty good one to lead off with and he is and I noticed his uh, he and his firm were mentioned in your book Think Like a Rockstar so there's a you know, I, I need more authors with uh, Southern accents. And if you know Tom Martin, uh, who yeah, wrote The Invisible Sale, yeah, well, his accent just didn't do it. So that almost doesn't count. He lives in New Orleans. <laughs> so I, I, I need your help here, Mac. We've, we've got we've to we've represent. So let me just open with one quote, and we'll get into it. This is from the beginning of the book, where you say, This is a big reason why rock stars have always had fans, because they have always had ways of connecting with them directly. 
Not only have rock stars always understood the value of connecting directly with their customers and cultivating fans, but they have wanted to be close to their fans. Rock stars thrive on having a close connection with their fans. Mac, tell us a story about how this book came to be. Well, I think the main thing that kind of drove me to write this book was that I've always been enamored with how rock stars can so easily create and cultivate fans and how they have this close connection with their fans. And I, when I say fans, I'm talking people that literally are in love with their favorite rock star. I mean, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, even Johnny Cash, Led Zeppelin. It does not matter. It's mm-hmm. every age group. They all have fans that just literally love their favorite rock stars. And from a marketing perspective, it was just so cool for me to see this and to see how this happens. But at the same time, you can consistently and repeatedly see examples of how rock stars have these fan bases. But then what always seemed like a disconnect to me was, why don't companies and brands typically have these same levels of fanatical customers? And you see it occasionally, but you don't see it at the same sort of repeated pattern as you do with rock stars. And that was that was something that kind of gnawed on me. So I wanted to kind of look into this and figure out, is this simply a case where rock stars are doing something that brands and companies on average simply can't replicate? Or is it that rock stars are doing something and for whatever reason, brands could be doing the same thing and they're not? And that was sort of the driving focus behind writing the book, wanting to dig in and get a better understanding of exactly what type of relationship do rock stars have with their fans? And perhaps more importantly, why are they seeking out that relationship? And also kind of tying into that, why don't more companies do the exact same thing? Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with that last one. What is it, or, or explain to the listener, why brands seem to be behind the rock stars so much in terms of being able to have fans? Well, I think a lot of it goes back to simply a different marketing philosophy because, and this was kind of like the big, the really big aha moment for me when I was writing the book and kind of like, I hope what one of the bigger takeaways when you read the book was, but I think that there's a, basically a marketing disconnect because companies are really focused on average. They're really focused on customer acquisition. Mm -hmm. They're focused on acquiring new customers because new customers equals growth. This is what a lot of CMOs on down are measured. Their performance is measured by sales growth, et cetera, et cetera. We get all that. What was really interesting and fascinating to me was that rock stars, whereas most companies and brands are focused so heavily, their top marketing priority is on customer acquisition, most rock stars are focused on connecting directly with their biggest and most passionate fans. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you saw Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga taking out a so, a, an ad for the Super Bowl? It doesn't happen, but you see brands do it every year. So there's this marketing disconnect there between what most companies and brands are focused on doing versus what most rock stars are doing. And I think the difference is rock stars, they have a much better understanding of who their fans are, what motivates them, 
what type of relationship the fan wants to have with the rock star. And there's a higher level of trust in place, trust and understanding. And as such, rock stars understand and value the power of their biggest fans to go out and spread the word about who they are and ultimately acquire new customers for them. And I think that's one of the things that most companies and brands have never really understood simply because they're not in that position where they have that close relationship with their fans and their most passionate customers so they don't really understand their motivation and really how they're made up. Mm -hmm. There's one graphic in the book that I'm going to include in the show notes, which was really interesting. It looks like you did it by hand, the loyalty graph, but it couldn't have been clearer. Really interesting about how it's got the X and the the Y axis, Mm -hmm. and it basically describes in a graph that a, uh, you know, very quantitative marketer could understand. <laughs> it's to why it's like two ends of the uh, two ends of the of the stick. The way they they approach this. Yeah, and with the loyalty graph, I mean, you see that most companies they're focused on acquiring new customers, and you can immediately see why because it's this huge market size. It's by far the biggest market size. And then on the other end of the graph, you have rock stars. They're focused on trying to connect with brand advocates. And the brand advocates is this tiny sliver of the market, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But what I think a lot of companies and brands miss is that the brand advocates have extremely high levels of loyalty, Mm -hmm. so much so that they're the ones that go out and they talk to other customers, and they literally acquire customers for their favorite rock star, their favorite brand, what have you. And it's almost like these fans have a sort of sense of gravity about them. They pull other customers to them. They attract other customers to them. And this is where this is where I think it becomes a little bit easier to kind of get companies, CEOs, et cetera, business owners to relate to this concept because just ask them, when you buy a new product for the first time, what's more likely to sell you on buying that new product and trying it out? The commercial you see tonight during The Voice or when your best friend comes to you and says, oh, by the way, I just tried out this new selfie stick. You've got to try it. I just tried out this new motor oil. You've got, it's always going to be an endorsement from someone that we trust that is going to do a much better job of selling us on buying that product. And this is something that rock stars have always understood, whereas companies have been a little bit behind, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I will trust a total stranger before I'll trust an ad. And I think I'm just like any Exactly. Other. <laughs> yeah, I think most people will. Exactly. because, And the reason why is because I think that, and we've all had this happen to us, we'll be in a store, department store, grocery store, whatever, and we'll stop and we'll be looking at a product and suddenly someone will say, I've tried that out and I love it. You've got to buy it. And we don't know who this, we don't know this person from Adam, but I think a lot of times it's simply the sincerity and passion they have that immediately translates. And also we have this sort, we can immediately identify this person as this person does not have they're not going directly monetarily benefit from us buying whatever product. They're just telling us this because they believe in the product, they've used the product, they love the product, and they simply want to share something they've discovered with us. It's like that that immediately translates, that immediately resonates more times than not, I would argue, as you just said, versus the regular commercial. Mm-hmm. Now, 
big part of the book, you talk about four reasons why rock stars have fans instead of customers. And the first one you mentioned is rock stars are fans themselves. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I think that what that basically means is that rock stars, they're fans of their own work and they're directly connected to their community of fans. And this is a big reason because and it's easy to beat up on companies and say, well, why don't you guys get this stuff? But I think a really big advantage that rock stars have versus really big, huge, multi global brands is that rock stars start out by having a lot of one-to-one interactions directly with their fans, mm-hmm. be it be it where they're playing in the bar while they get started, where they're playing to 10 people for beer money, all the way up to doing arena concerts. There's always this situation where they put themselves in, they can directly touch and see and interact with the people that love them the most. So it's easy for them to see the power of those fans. Whereas the CEO that's up in the high rise, the only interaction he may have is via a spreadsheet. So it's, <laughs> it's really easy to not understand the value of these people because you're not interacting with them directly. And I think this is a big advantage that a lot of rock stars have is because they put themselves in scenarios where they have these opportunities to interact directly with their fans. And honestly, I think a lot of really small businesses, especially if you look at like the general store in a small town, Mm -hmm. they have this advantage as well because their customers are coming in. They get to know them. They understand their purchase patterns. They know that so-and-so, when Sarah comes in, she may need these three products for her children. They may know that Ben is single, so he needs these particular products. So it's that personal interaction that leads to that higher level of understanding that the rock stars have. So it's really about them being immersed in the same community that their fans are coming from. And as such, they get a much better understanding of who those fans are and how to better market to them. Mm -hmm. And it's like for a lot of marketers, a lot of them have a bartender that really they spend a lot of time with. Yeah, exactly. And the bartender understands their problems. The other thing that you talk about is that which just seems like it has to be the most counterintuitive thing for companies is you talk about how rock stars look for ways to shift control to their fans. Yeah. And again, this goes back to the whole trust issue. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to understanding who your fans are and understanding that your fans have your best interest in mind. And it can, as you said, it can seem counterintuitive. But, for example, let's say that you may have a company that someone emails you and they may give you some feedback, which on the surface looks like a complaint. They could say something like, I went to, I go to your location every day on 123 Main Street and I typically get great experience, but today the service was lousy. There were long wait times. I think you need to do this, this, and this. And it's easy if you just gloss over that to think, well, this is just someone that's complaining. I don't have time for this. I'm not going to listen to it. But in the course of that feedback, they're giving you certain clues, such as I come every day. Service is typically great. This tells you that they're not. 
Exactly. This tells you that this is actually a happy customer. And the reason why they're writing you and telling you is because they saw today they had service that was a disconnect from what they typically get. And they love your brand enough and they love that store enough that they want to bring this to your attention because they want you to be able to understand what's happening so you can act on it and improve. If they didn't have a lot of attention, attachment to your brand, they wouldn't care. They just go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So, and again, this goes back to the whole trust issue and the understanding issue. I think that a lot of companies are misinterpreting what could come across as maybe negative or just someone complaining versus someone that could actually be a fan that they're bringing something to your attention because they want you to act on it because they want to see you improve the situation so that your brand can succeed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, it, it seems like with the, the, the rock stars and their fans or, or any kind of marketing, one of the big takeaways I had from the book was the linchpin it was a great reminder is understanding. The more you understand your customers or your fans, the, the better you're going to do. And this leads us into the section of the podcast that I'm required to talk about by law, which is Apple. <laughs> and, and in your book, you, you even said, okay, now we're, we're required to talk about Apple. But mm. you talk about how you know, while embracing and connecting with your fans is really important, it's even more important to understand them. And can you explain how Apple is a good example that they don't necessarily interact, but their understanding is almost unsurpassed? Yeah. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the credit credit for that went to um, goes to Steve jobs, because I think that he was one of the rare marketers that could understand not so much what the customer wants today, but he was smart enough and clever enough to understand what the customer was going to want tomorrow. I mean, and that's no, rare. yeah, it, that's incredibly rare. And I think that's a, that's a huge reason why Apple has been such a successful brand for so long. And I mean, no one knew that they wanted a smartphone that had scrolling until two seconds after they saw jobs unveil it in 2007, then immediately, yes, everyone wanted that. So he had this innate ability to understand what customers were going to want tomorrow. And Apple is sort of like the exception to the rule because for most companies, this understanding comes from having constant and consistent interactions with your customer and creating what I like to call a feedback loop where you're constantly interacting with them. You're taking insights from that. They're constantly interacting with you. You're taking insights from that. You're learning more about them. They're learning more about you, et cetera. But Apple, with Jobs, they were able to basically have such an incredible understanding of their customers, even though they may not have had that high level of personal and direct and individual interactions. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of like the – and it's a lot of – we all like to use Apple as a case study of – a company that has customers that are so devoted. But I think that a lot of times it does go back to how are you fostering these interactions because you do have to have it sort of baked into your culture to want to interact with your customers to get this better understanding of who they are. And then once you have that understanding, applying it internally and mining out those insights so that you can improve your business and marketing efforts. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mac, what is the difference between an influencer and a fan? 
an influencer, I think, is someone that's built up a following and they have they're, – they're basically – they're trusted. You, you go to them because you trust them. They have influence over you. Whereas for the purpose of this conversation, a fan is someone that's really passionate about a particular – it can be rock star, it can be political movement, it can be sports team, brand, what have you. And they have this sort of – they have this passion about them and they attract other people to them via that passion. And what I think is really interesting for marketers because this is a big deal because this this sort of – of compare and contrast between influencers and fans. And I'm really glad you brought it up because on the one hand, you have the influencer that has this sort of, let's say he's got this, he or she has this huge audience. People come to them every day. They read their blog, their site, they go, they follow them on social, et cetera, whatever. So they're trusted as someone that has influence on the other hand, you have the fan that has this level of passion. So at some point, there's a trade-off between the influencer, which you, a brand may work with an influencer because they want to reach a larger audience. But they need to understand that if that influencer doesn't have the passion for their particular brand, that's going to also resonate when they try to promote that brand. So it's sort of a trade-off between reach and how passionate is that message that the influencer is using to reach? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what you'd really like to see is you'd like to connect with, from the brand perspective, you'd like to connect with someone that's an influencer that's also a fan of your brand. That would be perfect because then you've got the best of both worlds. Yeah, then the planets are aligning. But do you think a lot of marketers are using the two terms interchangeably? I no, I, I think... A lot of brands are focused so much on we need we need to interact, we need to get influencers talking about us. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at it simply from the perspective of the influencer has the large audience, we need access to that large audience, so basically we'll get the influencer to talk about our brand and reach that audience. And I, I understand and I get that, but I think at the same time that they need to understand that a lot of times you can connect with fans, which may have a much smaller audience, but if they're going to connect with that much smaller audience with a much more passionate message, that me- that message, even though it's reaching a smaller audience, will probably resonate and connect more with that smaller audience. So again, it's a trade-off between do you want to connect with, say, 100 people and the passion for that message that that influencer is using to connect with 100 people, maybe it's a 5 out of 10. Or over here, you could connect with a fan that's got an audience size of, let's say, 25, but the passion level is 10. So Your yield might be higher. Yeah, exactly. It's not, yeah, It's you need to factor in, even though the fan may have the smaller audience, they're going to be reaching that smaller audience with a more passionate message, and that passionate message is going to be for your brand. Yeah. Well, uh, since we're both from the South, we have to talk about Maker's Mark. So an example <laughs> of the, uh, that's bourbon, uh, fine bourbon, I might add. The, an influencer would be somebody who writes about bourbon, who reviews bourbon, but he writes about all kinds of distilled spirits. Okay, then the fan would be me. Mac, you are actually talking to a Maker's Mark brand ambassador. I, I bet you didn't know that, did you? Oh, I did not. That's very cool. You talk about that in your book. So, you know, 
you know, I'll talk about it to other people and serve it in my home and I'm not getting anything out of it, but I just, I like it. And I've, I've, I've done extensive research on the product. So, um, <laughs> but that, that would, that, let me ask one last question about the book that I think is really, really important. What, and, and again, this is, um, required by law. We have to talk about ROI on any marketing podcast. Talk about how you talk to companies who are struggling to know if this stuff is going to work. How, you know, when they say, what's my ROI going to be? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the first sort of like the default position they go back to is how is this going to increase sales? And that's a very valid component of working with fans. Mm -hmm. But what I try to do is I try to make sure that they see the bigger picture and they see all the opportunities that are there. Because you, as a Maker's Mark brand ambassador, you're constantly having conversations with other people about Maker's Mark. And sometimes you are getting, well, a lot of times you're going to get feedback from other, from other customers. They, some people, you tell them, I love Maker's Mark, and they may, may immediately say, oh, I do too. And the next thing you know, you're spending the next 30 minutes talking about your favorite type of Maker's Mark. But then you may have some customers that say, yeah, I've tried that, and I just didn't like it. And here's the five reasons why I didn't like it or whatever. I mean, you... The, the company has to understand that even though you've just talked to a customer that's relayed to you, yeah, I just don't like Maker's Mark, but they also gave you valuable feedback on why this is why. And that still has value that you can take back to the brand and let them know this is what I'm hearing consistently from customers. They don't like this, this, and this. And from the brand's perspective, that still has value because they may be able to look at that and they, if they are consistently hearing these same th- three things from their fans, that may be something they go back and say, well, wait a minute, is it possible that we could change these three things? So I get the idea of we need to focus on sales. We need to have sales to make this run. I get all that. But I want them to also understand that there's also incredible value on your fans being out there in the marketplace, they're interacting directly with other customers, they're getting valuable feedback. Even if they're not positive on the brand, they can still give you feedback on why they don't like the brand Mm -hmm. that you can still apply and get value from. Yeah, it really does tie in back to Gino Church. His book is called The Passion Conversation. He's been on the show, include a link to it in the show notes, but it's very much about these people who raise their hand and, and you can identify them and, mm-hmm. and and they're right there for you. So Yeah, and I mean that's that's that kind of goes into another point is that a lot of companies will ask, Well, how do we find our fans? Well, a lot of times your fans will find you. Exactly. They'll be those hand registers. They will go out of their way to contact you and ask you, How can I help? What what's in place? Mm-hmm. So and and that again, this goes back to this most companies just do not understand their fans and understand that their fans actually do want to help them because fans they they take over they kind of view themselves as sort of owners of your brand and as such they take an ownership position and they view it as this is something i own it's my brand sort of like my team is the alabama crimson tide i never went there but i don't care it's still my team you have your team etc but we sort of take ownership mm-hmm. of that team brand etc and as such we act from a of ownership we want to see 
that brand survive. We want to see it thrive. We want to see things happen in its best interest. So when we see something that we think could improve the brand, guess what? We're going to communicate that to the brand. And I think a lot of companies and brands need to understand that. Mm -hmm. So Mac, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? They could only pick one. Only pick one. (laughs) Well, since the book is aimed at brands primarily, I think that they should understand that fans will do an amazing job of acquiring customers for you because fans will go out, talk to other customers, and they'll convince other customers that they should buy from your brand. And you you brought it up, and there's a, a raft of research that backs this up, but we all know it from our own personal lives. We're more likely to trust and buy from someone that gives us a recommendation versus the average commercial we see on TV. And that, I think, is the big takeaway I would like for many companies and brands to understand is that your customer acquisition efforts don't have to flow through marketing messages that are designed to get the attention of people that do not want to pay attention to you. It's a lot more effective and efficient to go through your existing fans that already love you and have them communicate to other customers and acquire those customers for you. Mm -hmm. And there's one part in the book where you say successful marketing isn't about cultivating sales. It's about cultivating advocates for your brand. Because those advocates are going to, by extension, lead to sales. Yeah, and it's like uh, Lady Gaga's Little Monsters. I mean, they're she has mobilized them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she she has found a way to mobilize them so that they can get the word out. She also gets incredible marketing insights from them. I mean, she's created this online community, littlemonsters.com, where they all come together. They interact with each other. And that's not just for her fans. She has all these fans in one place. She gets incredible marketing insights from these fans that help her improve her efforts. Simply from getting a better better idea of where her fans are coming from, that gives her better insights into, okay, what should my next tour dates be based mm-hmm. on where her fans are and how interactive they are. So, Mac, before we wrap up, let me ask you a few questions of, of interest to the listeners of the Marketing Book Podcast. Are there any recent marketing books uh, that you recommend? I honestly don't read a lot of marketing books, but I did read one earlier this year that I really enjoyed. It was Badass Making Users Awesome by Kathy Sierra. And Kathy actually wrote, she wrote the foreword from, to uh, Think Like a Rockstar. I was thrilled to have her involved in that. But this is just an amazing book. It really goes into sort of the science behind why people love your brand and then not not only just fans, but what happens when someone becomes an incredibly dedicated fan and they have a better knowledge of how to use your particular product, for example, and how the word of mouth they create once they become more adept at using, for example, let's say a software package, once they become sort of like an expert at that software package, the conversation they have and can have around that particular product changes and it becomes more effective in, again, communicating to other customers and acquiring new customers for them. So that's one book I've recently read that is really valuable, and I think everyone should check that one out. I have not read that, and I'm going to. And plus, You definitely has, need to. Yeah, and it has the best name. 
I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it, it might even be a better name than, than your book, Mac, but <laughs> it might be. <laughs> well, I will typically defer to Kathy because she's brilliant, but it's one of those books that you kind of, at least for me, I read it the first time and it kind of like some of it, aha, and others. But then after I read it the second time, it's kind of like that second reading is where some of it really, aha, now it kind of the dots connected for me. So it's definitely a book you need to read more oh, than yeah. once to really get the full. But once you do, it'll really inspire you. Oh, that's great. That's great. Are there any marketing books that you're looking forward to coming out or, or reading? Uh, maybe something that's on the nightstand? One I definitely want to check out is Jay Bear's Hug Your Haters. Yes. And that's yeah, very tied into what we were talking about here. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. It sounds like that he's going to cover similar ground to what I covered in the book. And I also like the fact that he's done some proprietary research with think Edison research for the book. So mm-hmm. that that's different and that should be interesting and hopefully it will get, get some better insights from them. Yeah. But I'm definitely looking forward to hug your haters. Yeah, me too. And he's, we're planning to have him on the show uh, right about the time it comes out. So I, I really excited about that. Yes. He talks about that, but it, it's just one part of your book where you talk about dealing with you know, like like we talked about the gold mine of information when somebody complains, you know, at least they care to complain. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, it's counterintuitive because hug your haters. Why would I want to hug, hug my haters? They hate me. But I mean, they hate you. Yeah. A lot of times if you'll actually work with them and listen to their problem and help them resolve their problem, it's the easiest way to flip someone from being a hater into being a raving fan for your brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mac, how can listeners best find out more about you and your book? The best way would be at my site, maccollier.com, M-A-C-K-C-O-L-L-I-E-R.com. And they can also go to thinklikearockstar.com. That also has information. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the major online booksellers. A final quote from the book, the future of marketing belongs to the brands that strive to create personal connections and relationships with their customers and fans. The name of the book is Think Like a Rockstar, How to Create Social Media and Marketing Strategies that Turn Customers into Fans. The author is Mac Collier. Mac, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for having me. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.